Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. Jordan looks sharp tonight, doesn't he? Had his braces on. If I didn't know better, I would think he's looking to preach here. But looks good, and I uh, appreciate Jordan, appreciate all of our young folks. Very glad that they participate each week in our worship service. We're very thankful for them, and we appreciate you being here tonight. I know that this is a holiday weekend. A lot of folks are on the road. It might be that you have plans to leave town this weekend or tonight, maybe tomorrow, so we certainly want you to be safe in your travels. We are looking tonight at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, as we think about preaching the word, and particularly as it relates to our worship to God. We have said that there are five acts of worship. One of the acts of worship is preaching. In Acts chapter 20, we have a record of the early church in the city of Troas. And the Bible tells us on this particular occasion, not only did they partake of the Lord's Supper, but Paul preached and preached a rather lengthy discourse. And so preaching was a viable part of the early church. As a matter of fact, God in the long ago instructed his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There are really two purposes in preaching and teaching the word. The first is evangelism, our goal to reach the lost. That's why Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second reason we preach is to edify. Because Paul would say, or rather Jesus would say in that same context, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the two reasons why we preach, one is to evangelize, the other is to edify. And so tonight as we think about preaching the word and its importance in the scheme of things, I want to call attention to what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. As we look at this context, bear in mind that Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy was, as he would say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, his son in the faith. Paul had a very close-knit relationship with Timothy. Timothy was a young evangelist. And I have no doubt that Paul had the opportunity to mentor him and to encourage him, to instruct him. And Timothy was a great man of God because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul would say, but you, O man of God. Timothy was a young man, but he made a difference in the world. And I think about all of our young people. And the difference that our young people are making in this community, in their schools. I think about the differences that they make in the neighborhood, in the community. And so all of us, we want to be an influence for good. Whether we preach publicly or not, we want to be an influence for good. So as Paul writes to Timothy, he is in, as we would say, the closing hours of his life. Time for, he, time for Paul on planet earth is very short. In verse 6, he would say, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. He would say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. In light of all of that, Paul knew that there was laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he said, would not only give to him, but also to all who love his appearing. So it's in light of all of this, Paul lays down this very solemn charge. Listen to him in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word charge here carries with it the idea to cause to believe. In other words, a preacher is the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. That's what Haggai said in Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. The goal of every effective preacher is really to serve as a catalyst for belief. The message is the instrument through which people are saved. But ultimately, we are trying to point people in the direction of Christ. If you want a good example of a great preacher, then I think about, I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. And you remember on one occasion when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming from afar? And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And the Bible says the disciples heard him speak, and what did they do? They followed Jesus. Preaching is not about cultivating a following. It's not about trying to win a popularity contest. It's simply about trying to point people in the direction of Christ. It's trying to exalt the name of Christ and ultimately lead people to Christ to ground them in the fundamentals of the faith so that they might be steadfast in their relationship to God. So Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. And then he says, before he's appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Let's think for a minute or two about the divine mandate. As we think about the divine mandate set forth by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first thing that I want to call attention to as we think about this point, the significance of the charge. Let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of preaching? What is the design in preaching? You ever thought about that? There would be a lot of ways for God to communicate His Word to mankind. But God decreed that His Word would be pub published abroad through the preaching of the Gospel. So we think about the design in preaching. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In Titus chapter 1, Paul said that we, that is those of us who belong to the family of God, live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. But now has manifested his word, listen to him, through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. That's what Paul said to Titus. And so the idea is that God has designed the preaching of His Word for the purpose of revealing His will and His ways to the human family. Now you can go back and look at a lot of different scriptures. And as you look at the first century church, one of the things characteristic of those early disciples was their understanding of the importance of preaching and teaching. For example... Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us that there was a persecution that swept the early church. And Luke said they were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And so down in verse 4, the Bible says, those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Do you remember? Preaching the word. The Bible says in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And in verse 12, the Bible says that his message focused on the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And Luke would tell us that both men and women were baptized as a result of hearing the gospel on that occasion. So, preaching was a viable part of the early church. John the Baptist, do you remember John the Baptist who was the forerunner to Christ? He began preaching a message of repentance and he said, the kingdom of, he the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he said the very same thing. And so before departing to heaven, Jesus said, as I mentioned a moment ago, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we think about the design of preaching. God decreed, God designed preaching to reveal His will to fallen humanity. Now think about the design of preaching, God's design in preaching, and then also God's demand in preaching. Listen to what Paul said again in verse, in verse 1. Paul said, I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Listen to him. Preach the word. That's what God wants. God wants his will, his word, to be, dis to be dispensed to lost humanity. I think about, I mentioned just a moment ago, Haggai, that great prophet of God. Haggai began preaching in about 520 B.C. God's people had returned back from captivity. They'd been in Babylon for some 70 years. Under the edict of Cyrus, they were allowed to go back to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple. They started those efforts in about 536, 537 B.C. And then for whatever reason, they became lethargic. Work on the temple ceased. Haggai and Zechariah were called upon by God to encourage the people to begin again the project. Build the temple. Finish the temple. That temple was later built in about 516 or 517. Now, Haggai said that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. The power is not in the, message, in the messenger, but rather it is in the message, isn't it? So, we talk about the significance of the charge, but then think with me, if you would, for just a moment or two about the seriousness of the charge. I want you to listen again to what Paul says and think about what he's saying here. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. What about the seriousness of this charge? I think what Paul is saying is we need to preach in view of eternity. Think about that for a minute. Paul is encouraging Timothy to preach the word, reminding him that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. When the Lord Jesus comes, he will institute the judgment. And so it's in light of the judgment to come the fact that there is coming a day, as we would say, there is a day of reckoning coming. And so in light of that, Paul would say, look, Timothy, you preach the word. Because what people need is my holy word. They need to hear what I have to say. So, with that in mind, let me just call attention to a couple of things about this word. And the importance of preaching in view of eternity. Do you remember in Colossians chapter 1? Paul talked about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you remember that? He talked about the Gentiles and God's mystery that had 
been concealed but later revealed that the, that the Gentiles would be a part of the body of Christ, that they would make up the church because Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. So in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, Paul speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 28 he said, Him we preach, listen to him, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? That we may present every man perfect in Christ. That's the goal. Paul is saying, look, we're warning people. We are teaching people. And the reason is because one day we're going to stand before God who created the universe. The God who will ultimately hold us accountable for how we've lived here upon planet earth. Now back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. And then he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, what do we do? Do you remember? He said, we persuade men. You think about the seriousness of the message that we preach and teach. We're talking about people standing before Almighty God. And the fact that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible would say there is none righteous, no, not one. And so as we reflect upon the fact that one day we're going to stand before the God, the creator of all the earth. You remember in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul preached the one true living God? And Paul said that it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. He said the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why, Paul? Because he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. There's a judgment to come. So as Paul stood before the people in Athens, he's saying you need to understand something. The very God that created the heavens and the earth, that made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, this God will ultimately hold us accountable. So people need what? They need the gospel. They need Christ. And Paul is saying that the message we preach is extremely serious. It's a life and death message, isn't it? When people obey the gospel, they are ushered into a relationship with the Lord. When people reject the message, they are, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, without hope and without God in this world. So there is a very serious message that we're preaching and teaching. And I think it also says something to us about when we come together to worship. That yes, our preaching is intended to edify, to build up. But there is also this evangelistic aspect of the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And if we are not paying attention or causing others to not pay attention, it might mean the difference in them ultimately spending eternity in heaven or hell. How you act, how we act in worship can either deter people or it can be an appeal to people. And let me just say this, I need to say this. We have a problem at Olive Branch when it comes to people congregating outside these 
outside these doors of this auditorium during worship. I had a brother come to me not long ago expressing concern about the number of people in the hallway talking and laughing and engaging in all kinds of who knows what during our worship service. I talked to Brother D.O. White this morning and I told him, you know, you can be right here on the premises and forsake the assembly. Did you know that? If you're not in the assembly, you're not worshiping God, are you? If you're out here talking about the ball game or about politics or whatever else is going on in society, you're not worshiping God. Yes, you may be on the premises, but you're not worshiping God. Not only are you not only are you not worshiping, but you are a stumbling block to others. I hate to say this, but it's true. And we've got some folks that have become masters at staying out in the hallway. And look, I understand we've got a security team of men that are out here trying to protect us, and that's good. If somebody's sick, they need to be outside. But this idea of just coming in and taking of the communion and then just running the hallways, let me tell you what, that is not worshiping God. And we think about the seriousness of the message being preached. What about the seriousness of the worship service? So I say that because I think there's some folks need to think about it. And I know I have the elders backing because they know it's a problem too. Think. Think. So, when we preach in view of eternity, we're preaching a powerful message and a persuasive message Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek in Romans 1:16. the Hebrew writer said the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword God's word has the ability to cut to the heart do you remember in Acts chapter 2 when the gospel was preached for the very first time in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that those who were present on that occasion were cut to the heart. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and they asked the question, what shall we do? And Peter told them exactly what they needed to do, didn't he? Repent, be baptized. Why? For the remission of your sins. Luke tells us with many other words did he testify and exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked or untoward generation. And the idea is he was appealing to their hearts. Sometimes people say, well, you stepped on my toes today. And I understand what they're saying, but really the message is not directed at your feet, it's directed at your heart. I mean, the Bible says we are cut to the heart. So, the divine mandate. But what about the divine message? What about this divine message? 
Let's talk for just a minute or two about the substance of our preaching. Listen now to what Paul said. Preach the word. Be ready. Be instant, in season, out of season. He would say reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Let me just pause here for just a moment or two. The substance of our preaching is the word, isn't it? That's exactly what Paul said. Listen to him again. Preach the word. That would include everything that the word includes and it would exclude everything out, everything else. So the focal point of every message ought to be the word of God. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when, they, when those who were scattered abroad went everywhere? What was it that they preached? The Bible says they preached the word. What did Paul do? He preached the word. Do you remember in Acts chapter 20 when he talked to the elders of the church from Ephesus? He was in Miletus and he called for the elders of the church to come to him. And he talked about how he kept back nothing that was profitable unto them. But he said rather he proclaimed it to them both publicly and from house to house. What Paul was saying is that he sought to the best of his ability to share, to impart the word of the living God. And then he would say, I am free from the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so what he's saying is, he practiced the very charge that he dispensed to Timothy in the long ago. And that is, preach the word. You preach it in season, out of season. You preach it when people are coming, when they're going, when they like it, when they don't like it. You just keep preaching and teaching. Well, why is that? Because the gospel is God's power to save. And so, by way of content, substance, every lesson ought to be anchored in divine truth. Sadly, there are some that have gotten away from preaching the word. But what Paul is saying is, when we go to, when we go to present a lesson, it needs to be a lesson focused, centered on God's holy word. That needs to be the hub of everything. Everything revolves around the word. Now, we talk about our substance in preaching, but what about the scope of our preaching? Listen now as Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Let's talk for just a minute about this word, reprove. The word reprove means to convict, to expose, to refute, to correct. Okay, the standard by which we convict, expose, bring to light is the Word of God, isn't it? Think about what Paul said back in verse 16. All Scripture... Chapter 3, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Okay, Paul, for what is the word profitable? All right, it's profitable for doctrine, that is teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus? 
In verse 11 of chapter 5, he said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. I had a friend of mine that said a long time ago, Sin loves darkness, and it does. You know, when you look at the, the metaphors that are sometimes used in the scriptures, light and darkness, darkness signifying sin, unrighteousness. Light signifying that which is good, wholesome, right, pure. Those who walk in the light are walking in harmony with the will of God, with the word of God. But Paul is saying that we are to reprove those who are walking in darkness. We are to expose them. Now, when Jesus came into the world, do you remember in John chapter 3 when he talked about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? And he said, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world was already under condemnation when Jesus came. He did not come to condemn the world, but rather he came to do what? To save the world. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that all men might come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. All right? So we talk about the fact that Jesus has come into the world. And Jesus said, with regard to his intent, he came to save. But he said, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Darkness and light cannot coexist. And so when we preach and teach the word of God, what we're trying to do is expose sin for what it really is, and that is sin. Well, what's the danger in sin? Sin separates us from God, doesn't it? Isaiah chapter 59. If people are left in sin, then they are without hope and without God in the world. So we have the opportunity, the privilege, to share the gospel and to expose sin for what it really is. Think about Jesus when he came into the world. He came as a light, didn't he? As his followers, we are to be light in a darkened world. Paul would say to the church at Philippi that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. That's what John would say in 1 John chapter 5. Jesus came to dispel the darkness of sin. So as light bearers, Individuals who love the Lord, who want to share His Word, what do we do? We expose sin for what it really is, something that separates us from God. The devil masks the dangers of sin, doesn't he? Because he is the master deceptor. He is, as John said, the deceiver of the whole world. And so when we preach and teach the gospel, we're simply saying there is a better way. And those who are living in sin are lost and dying. And they need the saving message of the gospel. So, sin loves darkness. And God has designed His Word to shine light upon sin for what it really is. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we are called upon to reprove. And then there's a second term that is used here. Rebuke. And really, the two terms go hand in hand. The word rebuke means to censure sharply. 
For example, in Titus chapter 1, Paul talks about the qualifications of those who would serve as elders. And he would say in verse 9 that they are to hold fast to the faithful word as they have been taught, that they might, that they might not only encourage but contradict the gainsayer. He said there are many unruly men in the world. In other words, there are people who would propagate false doctrine. Unruly, deceptive men, their motive, of course, according to Paul in Titus chapter 1, is dishonest gain. And so he said, rebuke them sharply. Why? That they might be sound in the faith. When we engage in the preaching and teaching of God's word, as we correct, expose, refute, when we censor those who are living in sin, we do it because we're trying to save their soul, aren't we? And the goal is for all of us to get to heaven. Is it, is it possible that there are people that may be engaging in sinful lives but don't know they're living in sin? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, for example, there was, a, there was a time in our country when most people believed that cohabitation could only occur between a married couple. There was a time in our country when most people believed that children were the product of marriage. It's not the case anymore. I mean, you've got people today who are living with one another. They are, as we would say, sometimes shacking up. They are having children out of wedlock. And it is a continuous cycle. And so in order to try to somehow overcome this problem, what do we have to do? We've got to preach and teach. We, we've got to tell people, look. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that the women are to marry. That's first. And then bear children. That's second. We have the cart before the horse in many cases. We have people having children, and then if they want to, they think about getting married. So what Paul is saying is, people have to be taught. Are there people in our world today who do not understand? You can't live with another person and engage in sexual relations outside of marriage and go to heaven? Probably. So what do we have to do? We have to teach. I think a, I guess a byproduct of what we're talking about would be homosexuality as well. And you know, Jesus had the ability to love the human being didn't, he didn't like the sin, but he loved the person. When people are living in sin, we, we still love the person, don't we? We still love people. And, and we don't want to in any way denigrate any person. 
And sometimes, sadly, there are people who are cohabitating together. And the relationship might be two men, might be two women. In their heart of hearts, they may think that they're acceptable in the eyes of God. So what we have to do is take the scriptures and to, as Paul said, reprove and rebuke. Okay, how do we do that? We preach the truth in love. But we have to tell people, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, isn't it? Matthew chapter 19. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? How old is marriage? It goes all the way back to creation. Okay, so when we talk about biblical marriage, what does that entail? One man... One woman for life. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19? What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So, in this day and time, and things really haven't changed much. I mean, go back to the city of Corinth. People in Corinth were living in idolatry. They were living in immorality. And so, the very same problems that we face, Paul faced and others faced in the first century. Because Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, revilers, extortioners, drunkards. But he said, And such were some of you. So you mean to say that I can open the word of God and in a very kind and loving way share what the Bible teaches about marriage? about God's design for the home? Yes. Can I do that as Paul did publicly and from house to house? Again, the answer is what? Yes, I can do that. I would not be true to God if I didn't do that. Do you remember what Paul said, Acts chapter 20? Verse 27, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So when we preach and teach the truth, sometimes the truth hurts, yes. Paul asked the question, Galatians chapter 4, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The intent is not to hurt, but to help. Point people in the direction of heaven. So we reprove, we rebuke, and then Paul says, we exhort. The word exhort means to call to one side. I think about a man by the name of Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Known as a great encourager. And the Bible says he encouraged those first century saints that with purpose of heart they might cleave unto the Lord the word exhort here really means to console to comfort to strengthen now we said a moment ago preaching involves evangelism but it also involves edification doesn't it are there some people who because of what is going on in their lives have been beaten down by the world yes are there people who are hurting? Are there people in sorrow? Again, the answer is yes. Are there people who need encouragement to hold on and go on? They need strengthening, yes. Well, when do we do that? How do we do it? Paul said it, preach the word. Encourage people. And really all, all we're saying is we have to be balanced, don't we? There has to be Balance in our presentation of the Word of God. And so if we're biblical and balanced, 
We can't ever go wrong. Now, very quickly, our time's gone. I didn't realize it was so late. Very quickly, what about our struggles in preaching? Well, Paul says two things here. First, there will always be detractors. In other words, there will always be somebody. There will always be those who do not want God's word preached. They're not happy with a, thus saith the Lord. They don't like it. They don't want it. And so what will they do? They'll try to find somebody that will accommodate their itching ears. So listen to what he says. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. He said they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica? He talked about those who did not love the truth. And he said because they did not love the truth of God, the Lord would send them a strong delusion. They would believe a lie. And what would happen? Be lost. Be condemned. So we have to love truth. Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. So there will always be detractors, but then there will always be demands. Listen to what he said in verse 5. But you, that's Timothy, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It took me a long time to realize that there's a connection between verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 in chapter 3, verses 10 and following. Listen to what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 10. You've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. He said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What did Paul say to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 5? You be watchful in all things, and you endure afflictions. What does that mean? When you preach and teach the Word of God, sometimes arrows are going to be coming your way. Not everybody wants to hear the Word of God. Sometimes there are some people that will make it extremely difficult on those who preach and teach. So what's the remedy? You just keep preaching and teaching. You preach when people like it, when they don't like it. You realize that the goal is to please God, not man. So Paul said, Timothy, you just keep preaching. You just keep teaching. I want to close tonight by saying if you're not a Christian, God wants you to be one of his children. God wants you to be saved. And tonight, you can become one of his children. How would you do that? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he is exactly who he claimed to be, the divine Son of God. If you'll do that, repent of your sins, confess his name, be immersed with him in water, the assurance is God will wash away all of your sins. You'll stand before him pure and just in his sight. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. God will put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. If you will live faithfully, you'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him, Revelation 2, 10. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing.